This episode of Girl Boss is brought to you by FreshBooks. Are you on your journey to becoming your own Girl Boss? FreshBooks wants to help you get there. FreshBooks makes creating and sending invoices, organizing your expenses, and tracking your hours the easiest part of your day. Try it free for 30 days at freshbooks.com slash girlboss. And by Me Undies. Whether you're wearing a suit or sweats, you spend almost 24 hours a day in your underwear. Make that underwear as comfortable as possible with Me Undies. Get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash GirlBoss. That's MeUndies.com slash GirlBoss. Hi and welcome to another episode of GirlBoss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder of NastyGal.com and the author of GirlBoss. Oh, and I sold Girl Boss to Netflix, so that's happening. On each episode, I invite a different woman onto the show to trace the steps she took to creating her own future, what she learned, and what we can learn from her story. Today's guest is Christine Day. But first, Liz Carey is back on the show. She's an actor, comedian, and one of my best friends. And you can find her at the Liz Carey on Instagram. We'll be talking about the highs and lows of our week and, of course, our Girl Boss moments. Thanks for being here, Liz. Thanks for having me. Okay, another yeah. week. Wee. This God. is like the most time that we get together right now. I know. What is it, like the holidays or something? Time's really whizzing past. It is. It's now March, basically. This is like <laughs> us having coffee once a week. It's kind of nice. But it has to be slightly edited. I know. Yeah. <laughs> a slightly edited version of our coffee. Liz break. is not allowed to complain as much <laughs> on the podcast. I have to be more positive about my life. <laughs> Um, what's been going on? You're just getting better. You've been sick I, for so long. I've been sick for two weeks because we live in La La Land where everybody goes to the juice bar instead of the doctor when they're sick. So I start believing them like, you don't want to go on antibiotics. I'm like, yeah, screw antibiotics, screw medicine. I'm going to fight this goal. Put my head in the dirt. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I'm violently ill. Like I'm ri- two weeks later, I have a sinus infection, a chest infection, oh and I God. need antibiotics. You just need to go eat some dirt. Yeah, that's what I've been doing, eating dirt, and it didn't cure me. So I'm better, and I'm on a Z-Pack, and uh, it's know. not going to affect our Friday night. Zithromycin. <laughs> Sophia had a mouse in her house last night. I had a mouse in my house last night. He was so cute. Well, first I was like, ew, 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 yeah. ah, and I jumped on the sofa. What did the dogs and do? They are the ones that found it. They were like barking at the corner of the room and underneath the, the um, Nintendo Wii Guitar oh, yeah. Hero guitar and a mouse was hiding under there. And I just was, I mean, what? You know, we're in like a pretty well sealed off house yeah. that I remodeled recently. So there's not a lot of leaky holes. It's in the heat. Uh, yeah. I mean, the we heat. yeah, we live in the hills. There's lots of nature and the stuff. Heat. But oh my God. It's, are you hot in here? It's you, the heat. You're just... Bunch of rodents um, walking in here. So we trapped it and we let it go out on the hillside. He was cute. He was multicolored. He was really cute. He looked like a little hamster. He was cute. Yeah. I kind of think you should have kept I him. I suggested it to Joel. I told my housekeeper this morning and she was like, oh, I would have killed him. I was like, you can't. Yeah, we used to get rats it. in Malibu. I told you that. Yeah, rats are gross. Ooh, I had one in my bathroom drawer. I came home from <gasps> dinner and I was like, I opened up my hair items. You know, you've got a hair items drawer and there was a... Fucking yeah, that's insane. How did you even get in there? Malibu's known for rats. It came in through the plumbing in the heat. Have you heard of a rat king? Do you know what a rat king is? No, what's a rat king? It's maybe fabled. Oh god, Um, I'm gonna show you a picture of it. Yeah, so a rat king is when (gasps) a bunch of rats become intertwined at the tails and are joined with blood, dirt, and excrement. 
Gross. This is so disgusting. Gross. Consequently, the animals grow together joined at the tails. Okay. I've had some weird boyfriends who introduced me to things like this. Can you believe that? That's the description on weirdencyclopedia.com, but if you go on Ew. Wikipedia, it has the parentheses folklore <laughs> after the name Rat King. So, But there is a photo of it, so well, it has to be you real. you can make a photo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just went on vacation. That's right. Welcome back. I mean, vacation is such a goofy word. I feel like it's like recess. We went to the Utah. <laughs> You went to the Utah. How was we the Utah? We went to the Utah. It was really pretty. We drove. It was like eight hours. Yeah. It was just, it's so nice to drive. Did you stop? We stopped and peed, and I had four Taco Bell beef burritos. Yeah, I got your Taco Bell menu oh texted to me. But so you didn't good. stop I for like... I could drink the beef oh. from Taco Bell. Ew. Isn't that disgusting? I only get vegetarian stuff from Taco Bell. Well, I heard the beef is so full of soy, like filler and stuff, oh, really? that there's actually not that much beef in it, so... <laughs> I do feel violently. Okay, Ill. that's like a once every two years kind of a thing. It's so I do. good though. It's so good. It's the tacos are the and the little bean and, and cheese burritos. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Cheese and beef only. They were I like, could no go. lettuce. I was like, mm, hell no. no. Do I want that wilted? No, cabbage. no. You can't get vegetables in there. Anyway, so that was cool. That was a highlight of my trip. <laughs> I'm so glad you went to this really nice hotel. She's like, I got Taco Bell on the way back. We spent seven dollars. I'm gonna invoice you for that. Yeah. It was cool. All the people that worked out there seemed like mm, maybe we were in like a Rosemary's Baby situation. Right. Because they were oh, like, really? did you sleep well? Every morning. Like, I just snorted. How are you sleeping? I'm like, why are you asking me yeah. personal questions? That is weird. It feels really personal. Yeah. Well, that sounds fun. I didn't go on vacation. I laid in bed and snorted. Snorted. That sounds bad. Snorted your I laid in bed and laid in a Plum. NyQuil haze mm-hmm. and started thinking about um, too many things. There's a Levi's commercials running with Alicia Keys, and she says you've got 20, it's that song, she has 28,000 days. 28. <laughs> yeah. Do you like my voice, everyone? <laughs> anyway, I did the math, and I was like, wait a minute, that's 76 years. We only have 28,000 days to be alive, roughly. She's guesstimating your lifespan, I'm guessing, with 28,000 oh, days. that's depressing. Yeah, so I started Anything thinking, like that, I'm just like, Celine Dion, don't want to hear it. Well, now we have 27,999. People have time to be so fucking serious. I don't get it. Oh, my God. I like it when we just... I'm not even listening. I know. I just said we're having two totally different conversations. (laughs) I fell down on the way to school today. Oh. You know how you... Did you take your kid with you? Yeah. And the whole time... Did he tumble? (laughs) The whole time... (laughs) The whole time I'm walking, I'm always like this. Be careful. Be careful. Cars go really fast because it's really it's a narrow street. So we get to like a halfway point where it's not embarrassing for him to get dropped off by me. I turn around and I just eat shit. And I've got this ongoing joke. Have you noticed how many Teslas are driving around LA? There's a lot of them. Is there a deal on Teslas? Mm, they're just expensive and I think they last forever and there's no gas. So I think people okay. like do the math and they feel good about it. Maybe. Well, I spend all day either rear-ending a Tesla <laughs> or today. What's the first thing I see when I lift up my head from the concrete? Tesla almost driving over me. So now I want to so do... So wait, you fell? Like you fell dodging a car? No, I turn around not paying attention and just ate it on my own two feet. Aww. And then a Tesla drives right past me, doesn't stop. And what do I see is the back end of a you Tesla. Walk, you walk your baby to school. I walk oh, my baby to school. so cool. So now I'm going to start another new Instagram account called at when Teslas attack you. <laughs> at my real life yeah. shit at the Liz Carey. Yeah, at when Teslas attack you yeah pay attention to liz's uh instagram this weekend because we're gonna do we're gonna party a lot well it's oscars weekend so (laughs) you know we get invited to things here and there asshole nominations came out again fillers (laughs) 
Oh, you have a movie out. Yeah, I'm in a tiny part of it. Cool. It's, it's called Day, it's called Day out, of- out of Days. My friend Zoe directed it, and it's about a girl sort of struggling through Hollywood in her early 40s when the deadline on beauty is 22, apparently. Yeah. You guys could download it and watch it for yourselves. Cool. Day out of days. Day out of days. Liz. Yeah. Sophia. Girl Boss Radio is on Spotify now. Come on! It's cool, right? I love Spotify. So you can go on Spotify and listen to everything. It's so easy to use, and you can use it in your car. You really sell that Spotify, I love Spotify. I do, too. Don't come at me about Spotify. Don't spot on my thigh. I'll potify you. Spodcast. Okay. Spotify cast. Ooh, spodcasting. Spodcasting. I think you might need to trademark that and sell it to them. Spodcast. So, Liz, did you have a girl boss moment this week? You know I didn't, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) in the same thing about time and thinking about time in a NyQuil haze and thinking that we really only have... Possibly 28,000 days. 28,000 is um, not that much. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're not really letting it sit in. Let it soak up for a minute. I mean, moments about time and focusing on what's important. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you have a girl boss moment? My girl boss moment was, I guess, getting away for a few days. You mm-hmm. know, it was an unplanned trip. And as much as I wanted to have the meetings that I had planned for the few days that I had to take, it's just that book ended the weekend. I was like, you know what? I have to draw a line in the sand here. I haven't been on a trip with my husband since our honeymoon almost a year ago. We just really needed some time together. And so I think knowing my priorities was a girl boss moment. I mean, hey, work is a priority. Nasty girl is a priority. I'm finishing a book. I was like writing, you know, editors and from Utah. But I still found time to. That's good. You need to do that. Zen out. Oh. On to the girl boss moments from our amazing, oh, yeah. amazing listeners. Every week we read girl boss moments, hashtag girl boss moment mm-hmm. from our listeners on Twitter and Instagram. So if you're having one, if you had one, if you're about to have one, while you're in the middle of it, stop, open your Twitter, open your Instagram and hashtag girl boss moment and tell us what that moment is for you and tell the world and just take a minute to, to give yourself a little credit. For doing yeah. something great for yourself. And that can be giving yourself a bath yep. and washing your washing yourself. Disgusting body. That's a moment. <laughs> That's something we're gonna stop and applaud you for. You washed your butt. Um or it can be, you know, I got promoted or mm-hmm. I Or you washed your butt. Any of those company, things. I sent out an invoice with yeah. fresh books. Okay. Yeah. So Sarah Seaton at Sarah underscore Seaton says baked vegan flapjack <laughs> got ninety nine percent of my Italian exam and started my PHP coding course. Hashtag girls who code. Girls who code. Hashtag girl boss moment. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds like a real eclectic life. Girls who code is kind of a whole thing. I like that she called it a flapjack. I don't know what the difference between yeah. a pancake and a flapjack is. It might just be where you live in the country. I think so. It's like soda um, and pops. Anyway. Sydney Delvers. After dozens of rejections from mediocre jobs, I went out on a limb and applied for my dream job and got it. Congrats, Sydney Delvers. Congratulations, Sydney. We wish we knew what your job was, but that's fine. Yeah, tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Oh, this one was a good one. Marlo Miller at Marlo Mill. Talked to my parents for the first time in six years. That's a girl That's boss a moment. Thing. That can be really scary. Yeah. And like open up a whole lot of stuff for people. Well, there's a reason probably yeah. that there's been six years and That's there's two sides to that. Good job, Marlo. Yeah. Alyssa 
at Miss underscore Alyssa Paja says, face mask, journaling, and catching up on podcasts, being home before 12 a.m. <laughs> during production week. Hashtag girl boss moment. I wonder yeah. what she's producing. I know. You guys have got to get more specific here. That's, it's a tweet. You can't say that much. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1992. <laughs> it was a windy day. <laughs> you should read Low McGrath. She's shouting you out. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. At Low underscore McGrath says, shout out to Sophia Amoruso and Girlboss Radio for being the sole reason I moved to the podcast app from my, quote, stupid, stupid folder <laughs> over to, quote, education today. Hashtag Girlboss moment. Oh, my God. And she made this, like, amazing, almost like an infographic. Oh, that's She, so like, cute. screenshotted podcasts into her education app from her stupid app. What's in her stupid app? Garage band? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's time great. I... Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Lo. That's a that's a really good one. Hashtag that's a mud mask, not poop on my face. That's an okay. Also, well, see, that's good. She's can... clarifying and being more specific. Uh-huh. She's my hero today. She's my girl boss moment of the week. Well, I love being trapped in here with I love you. Being trapped with you and Caffeine and Shara, our producer. Thank you. Um, it's been good. Thanks, Friday. Guys. Bye. 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 On to the interview. Christine Day is definitely a disruptor. In 1986, she joined a small company in Seattle that wanted to bring back custom-made coffee named, you guessed it, Starbucks. She worked with the company for 20 years, eventually became the head of their Asia-Pacific division before leaving and becoming the CEO of Lululemon, where she worked with our CEO, Sherry Watterson, for about half a decade and built that into a multi-billion dollar company. Today, she's the CEO of Luvo, a company aiming to bring healthy and affordable foods to the frozen food aisle. Christine, thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited. I know. Me too. We met through Sherry Watterson, who you worked with for, what, five and a half years? Five and a half years, and I adore her. At Lululemon. Yeah. So Sherry's our CEO. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a pretty good one. So Christine's someone that I've admired for a long time, who I'm so excited to have trapped in this room with me for an hour. I feel really lucky. What was your first job out of college? My first job out of college was working for a financial services firm called Integrated Resources Equity Corp. It was out in New York, but I worked in the Seattle office, and so I worked with high net worth customers in private placements, which were really tax shelters. So they were the oil and gas industry and cable deals and office towers and apartment complexes. So they were basically funding those deals. So it's kind of like private equity. But I had to... It was like a place to put their money. Yeah, for tax shelters usually Uh at that time. And that's legal? I have no idea. back then. And it's not anymore. um, I feel like you hear the word tax shelter. I'm not... I read yeah. the New York Times sometimes. This okay. was the 80s. So, okay. You know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Cool. I, so, <laughs> there's a lot of us listening who, who... It was, you know, the Reagan years. You know, you know, so. know more or less about this. So. Cool. so that's where I started. And then I actually, I met, uh, I had, I worked five states and I had brokers that I worked wow. with. And one of the brokers that I worked with was a guy named Arnie Prentice. And after I had my first child, who's now 29, I can't believe it. Wow. Um, and I was coming back to work, but they were closing the Seattle office, and I had a choice to move down to Burbank, California, or Denver. But I just had hmm. a baby, and I didn't want to move from my support system. So Arnie Prentice at Kibble and Prentice said, I've got this guy you should meet, and he needs somebody to help him raise the money, and you know all the clients um, that you can raise the money from. And uh, it was Howard Schultz, and he had just left Starbucks to start Ildranali. Wow. And so that's how I got introduced to Howard. 
So that was the start of that. So he left Starbucks and started another company. How big was Starbucks at that time when he left it? It was five stores, and then they had a wholesale division, which they called Caravalli. And, and he was like, I'm done? <laughs> no, he, he had gone to Italy, and he saw the whole coffee bar scene. And the owners of Starbucks at the time really wanted to stay in the whole bean business, and they didn't want to do the coffee bars. They built one, which was at Spring Street, which is no longer there in Seattle. And Howard really believed in it. So he took some seed money from Starbucks. He'd worked there three years at that point, I think, maybe five, somewhere around there. And then he, he left. He took some seed money from them, and then he raised additional funds to open Il Giornale, which grew to five stores. And then we raised the money to turn around and buy Starbucks from the three founders that were left in it. So store. that was your second job? It was my second job. That's insane. And the sales were like $300,000 a year. That's impressive. How old were you at this time? I was 25 or 6, right around in there. My first day story is pretty funny. So I interviewed on the Friday. I started on the Monday. Uh-huh. And he insisted I had to come to work. But he wasn't going to be there. So Dave Olson was there. And Dave Olson trained me for an hour and a half on the espresso machine. And then he said, I've got to go open my Allegro Cafe because he had his own cafe business at the same time. And he said, but payroll was due on Friday. So you've got to have the checks ready by 3 o'clock when Howard comes back so he can take them up to the store. I mean, I don't think I'd done payroll since, like, college, right, in class. Mm -hmm. I'd never done payroll. So he shows me these manual books. And I'm, like, so stunned. I'm barely listening to what he's saying. And then he leaves, and I'm left alone in the office, and I have to figure out how to get payroll out. You're responsible for all these people's rent. So, exactly. (laughs) And it's late. So I actually drove down to the Department of Labor and Industries, picked up a payroll pamphlet, came back, and created a computer spreadsheet so I could calculate everybody's pay. And because it had been done manually in the books before. And I had those paychecks ready by 4 o'clock. Wow. So that was my first day. Wow. What do you think experiences like that taught you just to be thrown into something? Because I feel like I've learned the most from being thrown into things. But have you had a lot of experiences like that? I mean, that's life, right? I think it is life. And I think it was my life. You know, I was one of the oldest of five kids. And so I was really had to be responsible growing up. I had to figure things out. My mom was a working mom, and so I was, you know, left at home a lot with the younger kids. And so, you know, I just had to figure out all my life, I think, how to get things done. And I think that's one of the skills that, you know, kind of carried on just in who I was. Mm -hmm. But I do think sometimes we make jobs too easy for people. We don't ask enough thinking. We don't ask enough engagement. And when you make the jobs so simple, you know, people, high-talented people don't really want to do them. Mm-mm. And so I think there's nothing wrong, actually, with jobs that are hard and hard work and things that stretch you. And the more you learn to be in your comfort zone in that, the more resilient you are. And, you know, what's that tagline? Um, smooth water does not a good sailor make. You don't learn anything from the good times, really. No. And, <laughs> and I think uh, resiliency is, I think, a key strength that you, it's a muscle that you learn to work with and it pushes you through. I mean, like, you know, I'm still scared all the time. You know, I'm still scared of failure and, you know, it pushes you and it makes you, you know, try harder and figure out new ways and, and just going around things. And I, you know, I think hard work and not giving up is a real talent. Yeah. Yeah. So you joined (laughs) Il Giornale, you guys bought Starbucks Mm -hmm. and then, then I took over 
I ran all the departments when we merged the two companies where people quit. I got those jobs. So I didn't Uh, even get to like pick what I wanted to do. Yep. So I ran store development, procurement, logistics, the warehouse. You ran everything. And then obviously, I mean, that's that's what a founder does. You know, it's like when someone quits, you jump in. I mean, you start it, you do it all in the beginning. But then as things progress, when someone leaves, I don't know everything that everyone knows, but having done a lot of it or pieces of it in the beginning makes it so much easier to jump in and take care of things or even just hire the people that need to take care of those things. I agree with that. And I, I think always being close to business, like one of the things I had to do in Il Generali, we didn't have computer systems. I had to manually do the books. Wow. So I knew where every penny went through all the journal entries. Like know, pieces so. of paper or calculators or like a yeah. typewriter? No, it was calculators and ledgers, like those old bound books, uh-huh. you know, so cool. the first thing, no, it wasn't cool, <laughs> especially if, so you were, pretty. if you were a penny <laughs> off somewhere in one of those calculations. Oh it was like doing accounting homework for like two years. You'd have to start over. I'd have to start over. I could spend hours looking for pennies. I mean, oh it was God. ridiculous. There's the no ways. delete button. No, no. In a, yeah. So, but you know what it taught me? was I could look at a P&L and I could tell you what was off immediately. I could walk into a store and tell you what the financials look like. Have it you been to our me. store? Tell me what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so it just tells you. I mean, so it was, it really taught me how the business moves by wow. watching the numbers and then the behaviors and the patterns and what it took to fix it. So I think knowing your business at that level, it helps you set strategy. And because you can't change a number without changing a behavior. Hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that. And what is what are your strengths? What are you really good at as a company? And what are you investing in? And so many people commoditize those investments and change their company. And they don't understand they're eroding their brand. And so I learned all mm-hmm. those things actually being by being that close to the business. Yeah. So you were at Starbucks for 20 years. How big was the company when you guys bought it from the founders? And how big was it when you left so it was like 300000 when I joined at Il Giornale. So we bought a company that was less than, you know, $2 million in revenue, all combined probably. And when I left, it was about $7 billion. That's amazing. And what were you running by the time you left? Ten countries in Asia. So I started um, company-owned operations in China. I ran Japan, Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, India. I'm probably forgetting something in there. So you, did you like live on an airplane? I did. 300 and plus nights a year. And did you have kids? I do. I have three children. Well, how does that work? Do oh they come God. with you? Sometimes. Wow. Um, cool. So they spent a summer with me in Australia when I had to take over the market, which they loved. And then, Did their dad come? Um, he ran his own business at that time. So he ended up not ever coming out. But the kids came to Japan with me and they came to Hong Kong. And But I, because the office was in Seattle, I would follow a schedule of 21 days out, nine days home in mm-hmm. Seattle. Then I would go 13 days out, five days home. Wow. Did you ever think this isn't worth it? Yeah. <laughs> I bet. He'd wake up in a hotel I room. I leave for a week and I do that. <laughs> you'd be sitting in a, you'd be standing there in, you know, a customs line that went on forever after getting out an, an airport, like, and you've been on an airplane for like 14 hours and you're standing there in a huge customs line. And, you know, particularly when you're going into like Shenzhen in uh, China, they would keep flipping the lines and like you're running around with your suitcase trying to get through a fast line and you're exhausted. Uh-huh. You know, so yeah, moments like that, I was like, Did what you am fly I doing? commercial? For oh, yeah. Starbucks. Why did you leave Starbucks? You know, I woke up in a hotel room in Hong Kong, and it was right after my 20th anniversary. 
And um, yeah, and I and I realized in that moment that I was at a point where I was having to move my family to Hong Kong. So my husband was going to sell his business and and we were going to have to move the family. Or, and I had to ask myself, was I investing in the right thing for me? You know, it was a great career. It was a great job. I mean, I was, you know, president of Asia Pacific. I was learning a lot. That's a lot to ask your family to do. And I, you know, I had one of those moments where you say, is this who I want to be when I grow up? And I think that job gave me so much confidence about what I could do that I really wanted to see if I could be a CEO. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I knew I had to leave because you don't get to be a CEO first time of a $10 billion company very rarely. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those moments where I realized this was the deciding factor. But I also knew I wanted to take some time off. So I took a year off, um, and I stayed true to that. I took a full year off. Wow. And that was really great. I got to be a PTA mom and class mom, and cool. you know, yard duty. <laughs> I got to. Yeah, I, did, I did. I did the the awesome. painted the gazebo chairs cool. for grade two, cool. and then I got to be the mom that took all the girl senior girls to spring break. So that was in, in Mexico. Oh, how fun! That was a lot of fun. You know, I just lived life for a year, which was really nice at yeah. you know a different pace. But I'll tell you, it took me about three months to put it down. You know, where I didn't feel like compelled to get up in the morning and take my coffee and go sit at my desk and do emails. As someone who is not good at relaxing, I am always like on to the next thing. I think after 20 years at a company, you could be really justified in feeling like, you know what, that creeping sensation, you could probably really suppress it a lot easier than being like 32 trying to take a four-day weekend and having a hard time. I don't know. I'm actually 31, but I've moved on to 32. I think the truth is people, for people like us, busy is almost part of our disease. And I, I think... It's hard. And, you know, my daughter said about me, a woman who was interviewing me had asked if she could interview three people who knew me. And so one of them wanted to be a family member. So she interviewed my daughter. And she said, if you could change one thing about your mom, what would it be? And my daughter, her reply was very interesting. What she said was, I'd give my mom the gift of sitting still. Wow. So, you know, I I still to this day don't know how to do it. I mean, I had a five-page to-do list of things I wanted to do during that time period of my year off. I maybe got through half a page. But I'm one of those people on the flip side that I'm never bored, right? I do Mm -hmm. not understand bored people. You had this moment where you were like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And I think it's really interesting that even people who are successful or whatever successful means – I think success is a weird word, so I'm careful with it – still find themselves asking after already being grown up, already having opportunities and options, what do I want to be when I grow up? Because sometimes you can follow your nose to a place where you manifest all these really great things, but then you still find yourself asking, is this what I intended? Like you can follow the opportunity to a place where there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. And I've experienced this. It's like, wait, It'll be 10 years in the fall since I founded Nasty Gal. I always want to be clear that I'm doing what I'm doing because it's deliberate and it's my choice, not because it happened. Or I'm with my husband, not because we live in the same house, but because we continue to choose one another every day when we wake up. It's just... No, it's about being in choice. And I I think being in choice is one of the secrets to happiness, to be Mm -hmm. honest, right? Because you are choosing every day to do what you're doing to be with who you are and to contribute to the world in this way. And and I think when you're acting from that space, now the trick, what I've also learned, is not to be so far in the future that you can't enjoy the present. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned, I think, you know, is I'm still as busy as I ever was. 
but I'm much more present in my relationships and engaged, um, and I'm not so worried about creating the future. It's purposeful. It's there. I know it, but I'm much more engaged in who I am and how I relate to people today, and I don't trade that for my future. Yeah. And I think that's the maturing that I've done. And um, I mean, it's easier to let some things go now than it was. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, sometimes our need for control is actually our issue. Mm -hmm. As I've said before, being a girl boss isn't necessarily about being your own boss or being the boss of other people. But there are a lot of us who are our own bosses. And FreshBooks is a really great tool to use to invoice your customers and it lives in the cloud like you Liz. I don't live in a cloud but I'm (laughs) glad we brought this up because I did start using FreshBooks last week Uh and I'm invoicing you for all the time I've been spending here at the podcast. Oh no. You owe me $28. (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness FreshBooks is amazing. It takes only about 30 seconds to create and send a professional looking invoice. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've mailed so you really can stock Yeah, no, I've been invoicing a lot of boyfriends. Who are holding your money hostage. Ex-boyfriends for random stuff (laughs) just to see if I'm blocked. All the time. Yeah. You know, you can use FreshBooks for a lot of things. FreshBooks is offering a free month to All Girl Boss (gasps) listeners right now, and you don't need a credit card for the trial. To claim your free month, go to freshbooks.com slash girlboss and enter girlboss in the how did you hear about us section. So you joined Lululemon, and after two months, you became the CEO. What was that like? It was crazy because it was right around January of 2008. And Bob, the CEO who had taken the company public in July before, so it was a newly public company, huge expectations of growth on the street. And um, Bob had hit his option grants as part of his contract based on the economic performance of the company. And so all his options vested forward. So he chose to get out really quickly in February, even though he was supposed to stay till September and work with me in a transition. He just wasn't incentivized? Nobody threw equity at him? Um, well, or he just it did, all just came forward. Matter. And he had uh, reconnected with, you know, I can't remember if it was a high school or college sweetheart and oh wanted to get married. And cool. so he didn't, he wanted priorities. to be in California. He had priorities. So he pretty much up and left. And so there was no real strategy for the company. The strategy was four sheets of paper on a financial plan. So there was no brand strategy. There was no product strategy. There was no way to know if the numbers were real in terms of, okay, at this size and scale, what are you investing in? How many people? Like what systems? So I had to, you know, very quickly from uh, basically February till March, I had to have a strategic plan and positioning document in the hands of the board. So I pulled the whole team together. We did a very interactive process, and we got it done. And the good news about that was then the financial crisis started to hit. So I knew exactly where I could cut and uh, trim and without hurting the core business And Uh because I'd done all the analysis. And so we were able to cut once and quickly. And then we also knew where we were going to invest, which was in color and I'd hired Sherry by then, and she uh-huh. was fantastic. And She is. And so we didn't hit the original plan we had for the year, but we hit our reforecasted plan, and we still grew at an, you know, an astonishing rate. And then we were off to the races from 2009 on. And so from the time you joined to the time you left, which was in 2013, mm-hmm. how much did the company grow? 
So it was about $190 million when I joined, and it was $1.6 billion when I left. Wow. It sounds like you put together a strategy for Lululemon in like a month and a half or something. Where'd you start, and what does that process look like? So where I always start is what is the the core purpose of the brand, right? And so do you have a purpose that people belong to? So that's you, you can't have engaged your customers and you can't engage your employees if you don't have a purpose you're asking them to resonate. And that's what I you know, call creating you know, that emotional brand and a shared experience brand because if people believe in your purpose, they want to share and belong to it. And so that's number one for me. So what's the purpose? And, you know, we really felt that at Lululemon at that time it was about, you know, the yoga mindset of personal leadership of yourself. And then um, it was changing the way people dress so they could live the life they want to live, right? So that, you know, it's a little wordy that we, Mm -hmm. we had it more refined. But that was what we felt the core purpose of the brand was. And then how do you differentiate yourself in the market is number two. And so, you know, we said we are going to be the best retailer because all of our competition was really around wholesale. And we're going to do company-owned stores and a mono brand so that it's not discounted so that we can maintain and invest in the premium. So we really looked at our positioning, the business model, and how we differentiated ourselves not only with the guest by adding beauty and being in retail – creating the retail experience, because before that, she had to shop at Dick's Sporting Goods for her clothing. By beauty, you mean beauty in the store? Beauty in the garments. Okay. So it's all those little details and the colors and, you know, the, all the things that, you know, Sherry's so great Sherry at. Watterson is Sherry Watterson. Sherry yeah. Watterson. Exactly. <laughs> and then creating the retail shopping experience she's looking for, and because that was really novel, and uh, especially in the athletic apparel business. So great purpose, great differentiation, and then knowing your business. Do you know what every measure of success? So I knew I had to get stores to $37,000 a week in order to hit the returns. So like simple metrics like that, that you can be that clear in, you know, I call that great knowledge of your business. So if you know those things and you can make it super clear to set goals that people understand and, and can believe in. And then it's a great team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so like what is the team that I need to get this done now that I've done this? And what's important about teams, not only talent, but how you apply the team to all the opportunities. So there's a strong and steady approach to growth that I like to do because otherwise um, the people who are working for you aren't working for you. Mm-hmm. They're not yeah. working for who you are today. Yeah. And then I really believe in training everybody that comes in the door on the brand, um, on the culture and values of the company, and on the strategic plan everybody who comes in the door. And we had departmental scorecards for everybody. So every person when they came in got trained on what the deliverables were and the metrics were for their department and the core departments that they supported. So that way everybody knew. And I think that's what's really important about creating a high-performance team. Yeah, that's amazing. Since Lululemon, you've left and you've joined a company called Luvo. Tell us about Luvo. So Luvo is a a passion business for me because nobody would voluntarily, I think, get into the grocery business. I call it innovating into a system in transition and dysfunction. But, you know, I liken it to the time in the food manufacturing business where it's kind of like you have mainframe, you know, mainframe computers and PCs are on the rise. They're so out of touch with where the market's going and where the consumer shifted that it's small companies that are disrupting the space and legacy companies are taking up the space um, Mm -hmm. in the grocery stores. And the economics are 
not pretty in the food world. But the need is so huge. You know, it's like $83 billion a year is spent on the four diseases that are really caused by poor diet and nutrition. So everybody talks about clean and organic, but nobody talks about what should be in your food, which is a minimum of a serving of not one, if not two, of vegetables, whole grains, healthy oils for your brain with, uh, you know, whether they're your avocados, your nuts, et cetera, and um, the right amount of protein, but protein that comes from both plant and animal sources so that you're getting a well-balanced diet. And nobody actually talks about that as the platform of food. Mm -hmm. So they'll talk about don't put preservatives and dyes in it, no GMOs. But then if they give you a white rice in a white tortilla with no vegetables, call it vegetarian, and it's high in sodium and high in sugar, it's actually not good for you. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the state of the natural business and the conventional business, plus the conventional business has preservatives and go stuff in the food. So to actually create a brand that is based on nutrition is what uh, I was up to with Luvo and why was that important to me? Well, when you look at the rates of obesity and diabetes, a tsunami is coming. You know, the hospitals can barely take care of the patients with diabetes today that are 70 and over because it causes, after 20 years of diabetes, you suffer from limb loss, vision loss, kidney failure. It's the number one, number one most uh, readmittance rate is from diabetes complications. And when you look at the children and a uh, number of people now that have type 2 diabetes, 5,200 people every 24 hours are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in North wow. America. Scary, right? And and it's because of lack of nutrition and lack of options that really are based on teaching people about nutrition and that have healthy options that are designed and that are easy. So I got into this because my mom had lost her lower left leg due to diabetes complications and my dad had to cook for her. And I went to the grocery store with my little handy list of the low sodium, high fiber, low sugar like list. And I thought, oh, I'll go to get the natural food section and get something healthy for my mom. And I couldn't find anything that met the labels. Wow. So I bought a small company and uh, said, you know, somebody has to fix it. It'll just be me. <laughs> so That's amazing. And so since you joined Luvo, what does that trajectory look like? And what were the first things that you did when you, when you bought the company? Well, it, I bought a growth turnaround, which is never a good idea in the grocery industry. But uh, so same things. I, you know, what's the purpose? What is our positioning? And how do we differentiate in the marketplace? What's our go-to-market channel strategy? And then how do I get to cost of, cuts, cost of goods? How do I make get the investment that I need um, from other backers and show them a growth trajectory and a plan that they can believe in and that I can hit? And um, so it's been a little tougher than I would have you know, liked it to be. But you know, we're finally out of what I call the valley of death of mm -hmm. startups. We're mm -hmm. coming out the other side now. We're in over 6,000 grocery stores. And wow. we have um, about uh, 26 products in the market today. And, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's been hard, but it's been really worth it because I, I feel for me this is my legacy work is disrupting the food industry. Wow. There's a thread, I think, that connects the companies that you've chosen to join over the course of your career. And I think, I think community is one important part of that, creating a space. I mean, maybe not in the case of Luvo, but creating space where people can, you know, congregate or feel included and also just kind of being first movers in, you know, so Lululemon, nothing had been done like that. And Starbucks, really nothing had been done like that. What attracts you to those businesses and how do you identify them? Well, I think what I've learned over my career is there's, as I look backwards, is I see that there's a pattern. 
what I see is like there's someone with passion, right? Like whether it's Howard Schultz or it was Chip or it's me, you know, now at, at Luvo. So it starts with a passion to make a difference in that purpose. But there's also societal need that's changing. And so if you think about what was happening at Starbucks, it was a time when business was really becoming automated and, commu- you know, and people were starting to work with computers and that was scary and technology. It was a huge societal shift. And the real thing that Howard saw was that coffee was the medium for people to come together in the store and have community. Mm-hmm. So it was the unmet need of the shifting society that when you get a good business idea that connects to an emotional need in people, that's the beginning of a disruption. And and so that's what Howard leaned into, and that's what resonated with consumers and created a great brand that then he found the business model to scale and execute off of. If you think about what happened with Lululemon, athletics was all about performance and winning, and it was all about sport. But that's not how women see themselves after a certain age. You know, they want to be athletic, but it's about being a personal athlete, and it's about the, you know, the time of yoga coming up and this whole kinder, gentler mindset of a journey of self and awareness and mindfulness. And so that bringing yoga together with beauty, it met that need of connectedness to self of something other than just narcissism. Mm -hmm. So the brand spoke into that pattern again. And so what I see at Luvo is the same thing where the consumer is actually ahead of the manufacturing industry and demanding the change, not just in their food, quality of food, but in the transparency in how things are grown, where they're grown, animal rights and environmental causes. They're all getting collapsed into people's need of food. And what they're really asking for, food is nourishment, but they're really asking for change in how um, the food supply does business. And so brands that speak into that. So when you can pull that pattern together, it's a time of great disruption, and it's when an industry shift is happening. But it's speaking into the need and the passions of the people that creates that disruption in brands. I'm going to tell you about MeUndies mm-hmm. because I have a pretty great experience with them. Mm. I brought a pair home that I would gotten for free from like a gift bag mm-hmm. or something from maybe like a conference. I don't even know how I got my hands on them. They were for my husband. They were men's <laughs> briefs. Mendies. Because usually I guess it's men that attend these things that I end up at. Mm-hmm. And they are so soft. And I gave him a pair and he replaced his entire underwear drawer with MeUndies. His underwear drawer looks like a sushi bar. Everything is like perfectly rolled up. It's only MeUndies now. He doesn't like a bento box of underwear. Anything else. And they also, I don't know if this is weird to say, but it's important. They don't give you a wedgie. I've heard that's the case. And shipping is free in the U.S. and Canada, and you can save up to $8 a pair with a MeUndies subscription plan. So they can, you just keep them coming. Get the subscription or a single pair. And today you can get 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com slash girlboss. That's MeUndies.com slash girlboss for 20% off your first order. MeUndies.com slash girlboss. Do you have any mentors? What do you think about mentors? Are there women or anyone just in general over the course of your career that you could say is your mentor? You know, I think in the early days, Orrin Smith, he was the CEO of Starbucks for a long time, kind of the under unsung hero in my eyes. I mean, Howard gets you know a lot of the credit, but Orrin Smith, his ability to lead strategy and growth was exceptional. And I learned so much from him. And he 
you know, there, there's so many times, you know, being a young leader with so much responsibility and not a lot of experience, I was in his office at like six o'clock at night and he would stay with me sometimes until seven or eight and mm -hmm. coaching me through or working through or just sometimes letting me cry mm -hmm. <laughs> in his office. Do you still cry much? You know, I don't anymore. Uh -huh. I, 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 I didn't cry at Lululemon and I didn't, I don't cry at Luvo. I know I did cry at Starbucks. Yeah. If there was any woman that you could power brunch with, who would it be? You've probably already done that. You've already had that brunch, haven't you? Well, so, I mean, I think thanks to um, like the Fortune Women events, I've had a great opportunity to meet a lot of really impressive women. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think my choices now would be either people who make me laugh, you know, who I, I think I could have a really good time with, like Amy Schumer, you know, so oh, I would cool. definitely, <laughs> definitely yeah, that's pick a, good a lunch one. with her. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, or other women that I... You know, people who've had really long careers or really experienced interesting things in their lives. I mean, that's what I really like. I like people with a good story. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, you have a good story. I'm going to ask a question I don't normally ask, but you don't know me that well, but you know Sherry pretty well. What one piece of advice would you give to me on this podcast? One piece of advice. I think it's about... Staying connected to the purpose that you want to be in, but recognizing where you're at in the cycle of scaling the business versus innovating the business. And it's about strong teams. I think about my moments of learning and failure and having to get up off my knees after I fell down. You know, one of the biggest ones was when I was at Starbucks and I was responsible for store development and we grew 15 stores a year. And then the next year we were supposed to grow 30 and then we were supposed to go to 50 but we only got 15 done the second year wow and so I almost got fired and what I learned in all of that was that I was past the point where we could do things by muscling it through as an organization that we actually had to do the planning and the resource allocation and be disciplined about how we grew so it took a really painful year of really understanding what the store development cycle was and when we had to have the leases done by so that we could get through permits and stuff. And after we got through that painful year, we did 50. And then we did 500. Oh you know, God. So it, it, the system worked to get us to the next level. But I had to let go of muscling through because really we were doing everything on heroics every day. And there mm -hmm. gets to be a point where you can't do that. So we had to knuckle down and really become good at doing the business. And I had to hire people who were more experienced than I was. And the hardest part of that failure for me wasn't actually fixing it. It was restoring the credibility from having failed mm -hmm. and dealing with that emotional part of myself until you had enough performance and people trusted in your leadership and your, and your credibility. So it was, that's actually the hardest part of failing sometimes is, is restoring your credibility. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone who comes on this podcast, I ask them what was your girl boss moment of the week? And a girl boss moment can be anything from I drove my kid to school to I, you know, aced my exam. You know, it's what you do for yourself or in your life that makes you feel like you're really owning your life. It's not about being a boss necessarily, mm -hmm. but it can be. What, Christine, in the last week would you say is your girl boss moment? God, like this. You know, the thing is I'm actually pretty good to myself. You know, I went to uh, have my – I love getting foot reflexology done. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, I make time for that like every other Saturday. That's like my little treat for myself where being in control of the things that make you 
take care of yourself because that's often what we give up the most. Mm -hmm. You know, I can tell you I went years cutting my own bangs because I didn't have time to get a haircut. I will never do that to myself again. I look back at those pictures. I'm like, I went on a book tour after doing that. And I look back at those pictures and mm, yeah. yeah. And you just realize like, you know, why did I really actually take all that on all the time? And so really, I really couldn't find time to go get my bangs cut. I really, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's those moments where I know I'm in control of my life when I'm doing those things regularly, when I'm getting to yoga class, when I'm getting to Pilates, when I'm getting my workout in. And when I've lost that for a string of time, I know I am not having any girl boss moments. Mm -hmm. Last question. What is your advice to the girl out there who's listening to this podcast, whose life is, is has begun, but she's still somewhere in the process? She's probably not a CEO, or if she is, she's the CEO of a company that she's the only employee of. Or maybe the CEO of, of, of a big company, I hope they're listening to. What would you say to her? My number one piece of advice would be claim your power. And I think so often as women, what we've mastered is being the servant leader, the supportive leader. But you can't give away power unless you've claimed your power. And so you have to stand for yourself. You have to you know, take on that smackdown moment with someone else. You have to learn to let other people be uncomfortable and to set direction and live with criticism, um, but also be powerful in your, your own purpose, your own cause, your own um, stand for who you are and how you do things. And if you don't claim that power, then you're not really leading. You might be a caddy, but you're not actually playing golf. Have you written a book yet? <laughs> I've got about 10 chapters done, and I can't really? seem to get the next part out. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to read your book, so that's why I ask. Christine, thank you so much. This has been such a blast. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Girl Boss Radio. We'll be back next week with Rachel Weiss, the VP of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at L'Oreal. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Kristen Meisner, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And if you haven't read Girl Boss, do it now. You can buy it at nastyl.com, Amazon, or anywhere books are sold. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at Girl Boss. Our email address is info at girlboss.com. And you can find me at Sophia Amoruso, S-O-P-H-I-A-A-M-O-R-U-S-O, on Twitter and Instagram. For exclusive content from today's show, please go to blog.nastyl.com. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. Thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and to my husband, Joel Jarek-DeGraff, for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll be back next week. <laughs>